0: And this morning our scripture reading will come to us once again from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, reading verse 26 through verse 38. We'll continue on where we left off last week, uh, last week afternoon. So Luke chapter 1 beginning at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, a highly favored one, the Lord is with you. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, "Behold, the maid of the Lord; let it be to me, according to your word." And the angel departed from her. This far the reading of God's word, and our focus this morning will be specifically on verses uh, 32 and 33. Last week we began looking at 31 and 32, and we ended by the the first line there He will be great. And today we'll consider, and He will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. And, dear congregation, You know the story well. Mary was in her house when suddenly the angel was sent to her, the angel Gabriel, and came and told her that she would be the mother of the Lord. The angels, Hebrews 1 says, are are ministering spirits, sent to minister to serve those who will inherit the kingdom of heaven, who will inherit salvation. And so this angel appeared to Mary to tell her that she would be the mother of a Savior, not not just a Savior, but her Savior, and Elizabeth's Savior. Elizabeth, who could say when Mary came and visited her, what is this that the mother of my Lord has come to visit me? And so we hear of the Savior of sinners, and not just of Elizabeth and, and Mary, but the Savior for you and for me. The Savior who was born and laid in a manger, but who now sits in glory in heaven, enthroned in heaven above. And the Savior who sends the same message to us today, not with angels that we can see, but through His Word. Through His Word that is a more sure word of testimony that we have, that we do well to take heed to this day. And so our theme this morning, once again, is Behold the Promised King, Jesus. Jesus. Behold the promised King Jesus, and he, we will see today that He's the most suitable King and that He is the everlasting or the eternal King. And so why is Jesus the most suitable King for Mary and for Elizabeth and for you and for me? Well, we read there in verse 32, and He will be called the Son of the Highest. Jesus is the most suitable king and the most suitable Saviour because of where He comes from and who He is. He came from the, the heights and the glories of heaven. He is the one who they will call Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. He's called the Son of the Highest, the Son of God conceived not from an earthly father but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 35 says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you, the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. He is Jesus. He is fully God. Jesus never stopped being God when He came into this world. The Son of God existed from, from all eternity as part of the Trinity, the unchanging God. But more than that, He was also conceived here in the womb of Mary, of this young woman, this virgin Mary, just like every baby boy and girl like us who were conceived in the womb, but he through the Holy Spirit. Verse 31 says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So Jesus would be born from Mary, and together with Joseph they would raise him up with His his brothers and sisters. So this means that Jesus is also fully man, fully human. The Son of the Highest really here emphasizes that He was a man like us. Yes, His Father was in heaven, but He is fully human, just like you and me. Born into this world, and what does that mean? That means He's the the God-man, He's the Emmanuel, the God with us. He is the second person of that Trinity who has come down into this world to be clothed in flesh and to become a man, born a child, to become like one of us, beginning there in the womb, except without sin. And so, even though he's the highest, even though he's a son of the highest, he was born as one of the lowest. He made himself of no reputation, it says in Philippians. Even though he came from heaven, he was born there from an unknown family. And just like King David was, you remember David, he was a son of Jesse, and he was a family that King Saul didn't even know of. He said, who, who is this man? And David was employed as a shepherd, one of the lowest occupations in, in the area. And so Jesus here also is born to this unknown couple. And even though He came down from the glory and splendor of heaven to this earth, He was raised in an unknown town, Nazareth. A little town of whom they said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet, this is where He was. And yet He was born in Bethlehem, that royal city of David, the the hometown of King David. And it seems like those two extremes meet each other here. The son of the highest and yet the son of the lowest. The glory of heaven together with the lowest of this world. So he's the most suitable Savior because he came to live here as a man among us in the sin-cursed world. When he was a little child, he faced all the same challenges that you and I do. And what you do, children. He faced the temptations to sin. He faced the temptations from those around him. We know that as he grew older, his brothers and sisters did not believe him who he was. No doubt he faced ridicule and bullying. He was falsely accused when he was older, and no doubt also when he was younger. But he did not sin. He was a boy who did not retaliate. He was a boy who did not re- repay evil with evil or reviling for reviling, but contrarywise, blessing, because He's the Son of the Highest, born without sin and yet fully human like us, no corruption from from Adam because His Father was, was God Himself. And that's why He's the most suitable Savior, because He knows exactly what you are going through, young people. He knows exactly what you face in this world, even though he lived in a totally different time. He knows what it is to live in a world of sin, where sin opposes everything that is good. And the evil opposed him so much. And that means he can sympathize with your weakness. That means he can relate to your trials and your troubles. And he's the most suitable Savior because he was tempted in all the same ways we are yet without sin. We fall so much every day, we sin so much every day, and yet He did not. And what are you tempted with today? Even in your minds today or this past week, He knows it all because He was there. Yet He was the one who obeyed His Father's will perfectly. He was there with a the desire to obey not as only His earthly Father, but especially His heavenly Father. And where do we see that we disobey our parents or our Father God in heaven so often. But here, Jesus sees, and he obeyed perfectly. Even though he was born a king, yet though a son, he learned disobedience through what he suffered. He had to learn it all from a young boy, from a young age. He had to learn disobedience by all the things that he had to go through in his life. And isn't that how we learn? We learn to obey when we're tempted not to. We learn to repay evil with good when we're tempted to repay evil with evil. The Lord Jesus had to learn all these things as a young boy. But His delight was to do the will of His Father and to obey Him perfectly. And so in His young heart and in His young life, there was no anarchy and no chaos. You remember last week we said, where does this come from? As the Israelites said in Judges, in those days there's no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. See, our sinful hearts want to go our own way. We want to follow our own will, do our own thing, and not what God says, not what God wants, not what our parents want. But his heart was so ruled by the Word of God that he could not, that he would not, he did not want to depart from it at all. He came to be that perfect king, and he came to obey the law, of that perfect king, because if, if he failed to obey that law in any way, he would not be able to be that perfect king now. His trust was completely in his Father and in his Word. So often we, we don't know what to think, but if our trust is in the Father, in, in God and his Word, then we cannot go wrong. That is where our hope has stayed, and so he's the most suitable Savior because he has come to bring, that, to bring order out of the chaos in our lives and in our hearts. Is he not the one who calmed the storms with the word? Is he not the one who, who drove out the demons out of the man who was out of his mind and who was so wild? He came to bring order out of the chaos of his life. He's the one who, who came to heal the sick. He's the one who came to open the eyes of the, the blind. And even though he was the son of the highest, the very God of gods, he came and with his own physical hands he could touch the sick. And he could lay his hands on the coffin of the, the young boy that was dead and he could even raise him to life. With his own eyes he could cry and mourn with those who mourned. But he could drive out the darkness and bring light into the darkness of our hearts and our land, to bring in that hope of salvation to those who sat in darkness. And He can bring that hope and peace to your life. He can bring that light of His salvation to your heart if there's still darkness, if there's still enmity, if there's still hatred to God, if there's still confusion. He is the one who can bring life out of death because He is Son of the Highest. But he's also the one who can defeat and drive out that spiritual darkness in high places. Doesn't Paul say we fight not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities in high places? Well, this is what Christ has come to drive out, to drive out of your heart and drive out of this world, because he's the son of the highest. He's that mega-savior, as we considered last week. And he turns sinners to become children of God, from haters of God to become lovers of God. He's the most suitable Savior because He's the Son of the Highest. And He's the one who can say to you even today, Come unto Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. And then also further, because He was fully human, He was born from Mary. He's a descendant of King David. Verse 32 goes on to say, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. We see that he is the most suitable king because this is what was prophesied. Prophesied for thousands of years already. God promised David a thousand years before that his son would reign and sit upon his throne. He would establish a throne forever and forever in 2 Samuel 7 we know Solomon was David's son, and he sat on the throne, but he did not reign forever. But Christ is the only one who can and who will reign, and his kingdom will last forever. And Jesus is the most suitable king because he was given the throne. He's the rightful heir to the throne of David. He's the true son of David. And David himself also, he did not try to take the throne by force. He did not try to usurp the authority, but it was rightly given to David. If you think of Absalom and even Adonijah, two sons of David, they, they tried to take the throne from his father. Absalom even tried to kill his father to take the throne. But David knew that it was only God who could give him the throne. All authority comes from God. And so even when Absalom was pursuing David, David could say, if it is the Lord's will, he'll bring me back. He did not try to fight to keep the throne, never mind trying to get the throne. And David would not take it in his, by his own hands. He would only receive it if God gave it to him. And David was the anointed king by God's prophet Samuel, but Christ. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the prophet, the priest, and the king. And of whom the Father said, this is my beloved Son, hear him. So Jesus did not try to take the kingdom too soon either. He took no shortcuts. In Luke 4, we can read of how the devil said that he was the one who had all the authority over the kingdoms of the earth. And he said to Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. But Christ took no shortcuts because that would mean he'd have to bypass the cross. He would not take this authority himself, but he patiently waited for it for his father to give it to him, because he knew he's the rightful heir, and in due time he would receive it. He David also, he could have killed Saul a number of times when Saul was pursuing him. He came into the cave where David was hiding. He could have taken his life, but he waited for the Lord. And there was the Lord Jesus in the garden with the band of soldiers came, and they were going to capture him. And Jesus says, if I wanted to, I could call legions of angels from heaven to defend myself. But my kingdom is not of this world. And the Scriptures need to be fulfilled. He needs to go to the cross. And even after Saul died, David did not take the throne himself, but he waited. He called on God and said, what should I do? And then the God said, go up to Hebron. But Jesus, even, even at the darkest hour, he prayed in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. He sought his Father's will to the very end. And he said, if this is the way, the only way to rightfully ascend the throne, and thy will be done. If it's to the cross, then to the cross I will go. And so Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the glory that was set before him, because this is the only way that he could be the Savior of sinners, the only way that he could rightfully deliver you from your sins, the only way he can rightfully destroy Satan who has the power of death. So he is the most suitable Savior, because he would not stop short of what it would take to save you and me from sin and from death, even though it was the way of the cross. And so he gave his own life because that was the only way to deliver sinners from the dominion of Satan. And so Jesus is the most suitable king because he has then also been given that authority by his Father. He told his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, after he died, he, was, he received that authority, that final authority, that, that total authority, not by the deceiver Satan, but by his Father, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords is what he is. And though he came in all meekness and humility into this earth as a baby laid in a manger, now when he comes again, he will come in the glory and triumph, in the fullness of his glory. In Matthew 24, verse 30 says, he will come in the clouds of heaven with power, and with glory, and his angels will sound the trumpets, and then he will gather all his people together, and he will cast all the wicked away. Here, are the armies they parade, their military power in their own cities, but there, God will be seen, the Lord Jesus will be seen from the ends of the earth. The whole world will see him, every eye will see him, and they'll acknowledge him as the King of Kings. And so are you also anticipating the return of the King of Kings? Are you anticipating the return of your King? Or do you fear and dread His coming because you know that you're still in opposition to Him? But then Jesus is also the most suitable King because even now, today, where He is in heaven, He has that authority to forgive sins. Mark 2. Jesus is the King who who came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You remember King Saul. Samuel even warned the people and said, when Saul becomes king, he will take from you. He'll take your money, he'll take your people and make them servants, and take your lands. And so it was. But Christ gives. Even Solomon. The people became weary of Solomon and the heavy taxes he laid upon the people and the heavy workload that they had. And, but Christ is a king who, who provides every blessing. He doesn't take, but he gives, including his own life. He came and laid down his own life for his people. And by his authority now, he even gives the forgiveness of sins to, to pardon that debt. Jesus' finished his work on the cross, where he, where he fully removed the sins for all his people, where he fully paid that debt, where he fully took that wrath of his Father against the sins of his people, and now he can fully forgive for, for, forgive all those who call upon him, all those who turn to him. He is the one who has the authority then to, to release your sin debt, your eternal sin debt against him. And now He calls you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, turn from your sins, for why will you die? He says, call upon me, and I can forgive your sins, to confess your sins, and He's faithful and just to forgive your sins. He is the King. And He calls you, He demands you to bow before Him now, willingly. And then you see that all you who come under His authority, do so willingly. Instead of the bondage of sin and Satan that we willingly gave to our, ourselves to before, but now we give ourselves willingly to Christ because we see how much of a greater master he is, how serving him is so much better. You give your wholehearted devotion to him that a natural human heart and our eyes see God's law is so restricting. Don't do this, don't do that. But in fact, it's a law of liberality, a liberty. It's a life of, of serving King Jesus, a, a life of freedom from bondage, a life of freedom from sin. It's a life of, of, of peace, and it's life itself. And there's eternal rest for your soul with this King. And So Matthew 11, this King, he is gentle and lowly in heart, and he says, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you not serve him all your life? He's the most suitable king to lead you through this life and into his eternal kingdom. But then secondly, Jesus is the greatest and most suitable because he's also the everlasting king. He's the everlasting, the eternal king. He will reign Verse 33 says, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Jesus made clear in John 18 that His kingdom was not of this world, but a heavenly kingdom. It's not just a physical kingdom here on this earth that He was after, but a spiritual kingdom, and He will reign over the house of Jacob. Israel is a new name for Jacob, but They anticipated a physical king like David to come and to to rule and to drive out the enemies. But Jesus is here speaking of his spiritual Jacob. Not the children according to the flesh, but the children according to the promise. The sons of Abraham by faith. Those who have the God of Jacob for their refuge. Those of you who have fled for refuge to the same God who has saved Jacob, both from the Jews and the Gentiles and He will reign in your hearts. He will rule, and He will lead that spiritual Israel. And so He will deliver you not primarily from your physical enemies, but from your spiritual enemies. Not just from outward enemies, but especially those inward enemies. Jesus removes that rebellion and that hostility that we find in our own hearts. And so this King will reign not by enforcing his, his rule on you with military law or with prison camps as we see in some other nations, but He will come, as Jeremiah says, and write His law upon your heart, that His law will become your delight. He will come and transform your mind through His Word. They begin to know Him and to love Him and to follow Him with the power of His Holy Spirit. There he conquers your sinful heart. There he overcomes your unruly heart. He he suppresses your and subdues your your passionate lust for the things of the flesh and all your unhealthy desires and all what can distract you in this world so much. And he makes you willing. He makes you willing in the day of his power. And there he turns your love from loving this world, and from loving your sin, and from pursuing all the pleasures of this world, to, to seeing that it is nothing, to see that it is passing, and to, to love Him, to love His truth, to love His justice, to obey His law, to have that delight and desire as the Lord Jesus Himself did, in, in Thy law is all my delight. And He has a perfect rule. He's a perfect rule. Nothing is outside of His power, outside of His rule. And even now, He's working that in the hearts of all His people. And so whatever is happening in your life, it's all being directed by His perfect rule, His governance, to the ultimate end of the glory of His people, to righteousness and holiness within you. And so we must trust Him. We must bow under him and to submit to his perfect will, though often we cannot understand it, because he will rule in perfect justice and truth, Psalm 96 says. And he's one who does not judge by the outward appearance of the things that we see or understand, but by the truth of the heart, by his grace, and by his spirit. He's a king who is gentle and meek, who says a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench, until he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will trust. Do you sometimes feel like a bruised reed or a smoking flax, like your faith is almost ready to be gone, and yet your trust is in him, ever sure and steadfast? He is the faithful one, Do you trust Him to lead you even when He cannot see the way? Do you trust Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords who knows your heart, your trials, your struggles? Is that not why the blind man could cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He was blind and yet he could recognize that this was the Christ, the King of kings, the Son of David, the eternal King who alone could help Him when the whole crowds that were following Christ could not see any more than a prophet. He came to give sight to the blind. Do you need the sight from the king of kings? And of his kingdom there will be no end, verse 33. It's an eternal kingdom. and This is the king you want to have reign forever and ever. When you have an evil government. When you have tyrants for rulers, you want them to end quickly. You want them to be taken away so you can have freedom and prosperity. But the kingdoms of peace and prosperity, you want to to go on forever and ever. And Jesus' kingdom, which is perfection itself, will endure forever never to be stolen, never to be lost. There will be no competition. There will be no neighboring nations seeking to conquer their land like Russia is now doing to Ukraine or whatever's happening in the Middle East or different places around the world. There will be no borders because Christ will reign from sea to sea. There will be no anarchy, no chaos because He will have a perfect rule. He's the kingdom of peace. He's the, the prince of peace. And here in this life, every nation comes to an end. You can see that through history, nations rise and nations fall, either because of the judgments, because of their sin, or else through poor leadership. In our day, we, we need elections every once in a while to keep a greedy, um, power-hungry leaders out and to, to have an accountability for them, Then, in the days, uh, unjust kings were cut off short as well, and God's judgments come on the land, even on the land of Israel, and He drove them out and brought them under oppression. And eventually, death will consume everyone. Every kingdom here falls because death is the last enemy that they face. But the Lord Jesus Christ, He even rose from the dead and He ascended into heaven, and even death cannot conquer this King, because He is the King who has conquered death and has conquered it for His people. And there will be no more wars, for He rules over all creation from pole to pole. There will be no more uprising, because all uprising will be squashed. There will be no more enemies, because Satan, that mortal foe, will be cast into eternal hell forever along with all his minions and all those who refuse to believe in this King now, today. Everyone who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who continues to resist and rebel against this King, will be suppressed and subdued by him by force and cast into eternal destruction, to be cast into the lake of fire which was designed for Satan and the devils. And then there will be no more anarchy, no more chaos among the people because then there will be perfect conformity to His moral law, perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. Your heart of every believer will be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ in perfect obedience to His Word and to His will. And then there will be perfect peace, perfect unity, a perfect harmony, a perfect love for one another under the eternal reign of Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He has an eternal kingdom of which there will be no end. Can we even begin to comprehend what that will be? But that means He also still reigns today. He already reigns today. Even though it seems like the nations are drifting away from Him, from His Word, and even though they try to erase Christianity out of many countries, we see how that happened in North Korea, we see what is happening in North America and they try to keep Christ out and they try to silence Him, He can do anything and everything but say that there is only one King and only one way of salvation and only one a gospel and only one way to be saved from condemnation forever. And now the nations rage, and the kings of the earth take counsel together against Christ in every way that they can, trying to overthrow his throne and trying to unite the world against Christ, as will happen in the end days. But Christ reigns forever and ever. And one day, Philippians says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, including our own Prime Minister, including every one of us here today. You and me will bow before Christ and confess that He is the Lord of Lords, either willingly or by force. Which one then will it be when He calls you today to say, Come unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Because Revelation says the kingdoms of the world are become the kingdoms of, the Lord, of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Is this the kingdom that you want to be part of? Is this the kingdom that you desire to be a part of, of perfect peace? Or do you continue resisting this King, of whom no one will be able to stand before? Because He knows not only who you are, He knows your heart, your inmost secrets, and your inmost thoughts. He will have before Him the book of your conscience and the book of all you have done, whether good or bad. And He will judge you perfectly, not by the appearance, but by justice and truth. And that day will come when that everlasting King will come that second time in glory, not meek and not small, not as a baby, not laid in a manger, but then in the greatness of His majesty and of His power, and on the name written on his robe will be King of kings and Lord of lords. And all his enemies be cast into the lake, burning with fire and brimstone. And then you'll see Satan, his great enemy, cast into the lake of burning, into outer darkness. And all his people will be delivered forever. Delivered forever. When the enemies are done away with, delivered forever forever to live in the presence of your King and of your Savior, your most suitable one, the great one, the everlasting one. Jesus is the King, forever to be done with sin, forever to be done with sorrow, forever to be done with war, forever to be done with sickness, forever to be done with death. Are you then anticipating the coming of this Christ, or are you just anticipating we can have for lunch or for presents in this coming season? Are you anticipating this King of kings and the Lord of lords? Because he will come again, and he will come as unexpectedly as he did to Mary and said, Behold, but then he won't come as one quiet angel into your room, but then he will come with trumpets sounding in the skies and the clouds, and the skies will be rolled up as a scroll, and the trumpets will sound, and then every eye will see him. And then you'll hear, Behold, the promised king is here. Are you ready? Are you waiting? Are you seeking? Is he your king? Because today he still calls. And that day will come as a thief in the night. And the trumpets will sound. And he will appear. And all his people will be with him in glory, in perfect peace and unity forever and ever and ever in his kingdom. Amen.